Texas talking. Oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking. Oh, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas has Hello and welcome to the Tribcast. I'm Robert Schenken, Pulitzer Prize winner and author of the hit play All the Way. Currently running on Broadway and starring Brian Cranston as President LBJ. But when I want to listen to some real political theater, the absurd Texas style, I tune in to the Texas Tribune Tribcast. And now here's your host with his own version of the Johnson treatment, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the first week of May. I am joined by CEO and editor-in-chief Evan Smith. Hey. Managing editor Brandy Grissom. Good morning. And reporter Terry Langford. Hi. Welcome back. You were not scared off last week? (laughs) Not yet. She's back for more. Well, let's move right from the stage to the big screen. Why don't we? Uh, Brandy, you have been following the saga of Bernie. That's true. Whose last name, of course, is... Tita. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, most known to people... He's just Bernie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's he's like... Like Chero. One name. (laughs) Right. Like Abby. You know who Chara was? <laughs> yeah. She's the Chara. banana girl, right? I really thought it was Chara. <sighs> you're, you're of a certain age. You I get know. it. I'm old. Could be Chara. Yeah. I think you just said it wrong. Churro. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, you messed up. I had this like whole setup going. You want to start but, over? No. So anyway, Bernie was is most known to people as the subject of Richard Linklater's movie of the same name. Um, and he, he killed a woman. He did. And, and then put her body in a freezer. Yeah, and you want to pick it up from there? (laughs) Sure. So in uh, 1996, Bernie shot Marge Nugent, who um, was 81 years old. Shirley MacLaine in the movie. Indeed. And um, so the two of them... Jack Black plays him. Jack Black does play him quite well. Um, So Miss Nugent was known around the thriving metropolis of Carthage in East Texas as a woman who was pretty surly, um, not super well liked around town, kind of stingy. Like the Evan Smith of Carthage. Yeah, exactly. Um, except maybe better dressed. <laughs> but um, less of a cowling. Made her really? own clothes. Re- re- really? <laughs> is, is this is this where this is going? Honestly, <laughs> do I get to live in Rick Linklater's garage apartment at the end of the story? <laughs> if you're lucky. No, no, you get shot and put in the freezer. <laughs> Pay attention. Wake up, Reeve. <laughs> Stop dreaming. Okay, so. Eventually what happened is uh, Bernie and she developed a rather dysfunctional relationship. He quit his job and sort of worked for her full time as like a business manager. But essentially they were friends and they traveled around the world and spent her fortune, which she had um, gotten from her husband who died. So um, when their relationship eventually became so dysfunctional, um, Bernie shot her in the back and put her body in the freezer for about nine months well, he was a mortician, right? He was a mortician. So he had this experience, and he said at his trial, you know, that he put the body in the freezer because he was trying to preserve her so he could give her a nice funeral at some point. Seems reasonable. So, so yeah, that's sort of nice. Yeah. So eventually, you know. Uh, I hope her... someone does that for me someday. <laughs> I'll, I'll note that. It, it, it can be arranged <laughs> for the next five minutes. So eventually, uh, Marge's accountant was 
suspicious that something was going on because Bernie was spending a lot of her money. He helped uh, build a wing at the church. He was helping people buy cars and fund their stores and buy homes and all kinds of very generous things with her money. And so the accountant kept calling and trying to get in touch with her, but of course he couldn't. And so eventually he sort of went to the police and the police got involved and they found the body in the freezer. So they went to trial and Danny Buck Davidson, who is played by Matthew McConaughey in the movie, um, did a really good job of painting Bernie as sort of this gold digging young man who would be a danger to any other old widow in the vicinity of Carthage and that he should go to prison for life. Um, and the jury eventually agreed with that with him and they sentenced him to life in prison. One of the interesting sort of twists here in this story is that back in 1999 when this case went to trial the town most of the folks in the town really loved bernie because he was this super friendly outgoing church going kind of guy who um was a singer had a beautiful voice according to everybody who knew him um and they didn't want danny buck to prosecute him they said you know marge was a mean lady and you know i would have gotten tired of her too and you know a lot of folks said i don't blame bernie well and in the movie they have actual interviews with residents of the town who I said mean, exactly sort of that speak to this right right that's kind of one of the more entertaining parts of the movie yeah it's very sort of uh different richard linklater sort of sort of a documentary sort of a fictional yeah thing different from slacker yeah. the best the best one of those people who is a supposed real resident of Carthage in that is actually Matthew McConaughey's mother. That's a small bit of trivia. Now I'll be quiet again. But <laughs> she, she was great in that movie. Actually, she was great. I think she got robbed at the Oscars, honestly. <laughs> I got to interview another woman who from Carthage who was in the movie yesterday who was in the courtroom, so that was pretty cool. Um, so... But have, do they still feel that way now? No. Let's, let's move forward to present move day. Move forward. Skipping forward. So, so he's been in prison for... He... Well, he's been in prison since 1999, so um, like about 17 years, a very long time. And so what happened was after the movie came out, um, Bernie got new lawyers. Uh, Jody Cole, who's an Austin lawyer, saw the movie and was sort of interested in in the case and what happened and why he had gotten such a seemingly harsh punishment. And so... Um, after she saw the movie, she went to Rick Linklater. Well, can we stop for one second? Seemingly harsh. harsh? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh my she gosh. killed. He killed a lady. I mean, isn't that how? How was that seemingly harsh? But she was. She was a bit ornery, though. It, it, <laughs> the law doesn't the law say, work that way. Yeah, the law doesn't say half if you're the people ornery. in this office would be dead and in a freezer if that were the case. If you get yeah, away, then, if you get away with killing ornery <laughs> people, I'll make a list. There are also people though who get probation for committing murder. And people who have uh, – what's that one where you're really rich? That disease? Oh, affluenza. affluenza. Not venture, venture, you venture capitalist? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she goes to Rick and says, hey, I want to do something about this. He gives her the transcript. She starts investigating and goes through some of the evidence in the file and finds that Bernie, has ha- Bernie had this collection of self-help books for victims of sexual abuse. So she gets Bernie a counselor and the psychiatrist, and they interview Bernie, and eventually, finally, he admits that as a kid, a family member had um, sexually abused him for a number of years, from the time he was 12 till the time he was 18. And he also gives more details about his relationship with Marge, that she 
um, was very controlling and domineering that she made him rub her back with a vibrator and shave her legs while she was naked. Um, and so together, all That's of these things. That's in the things, director's cut. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> not the not rated version. So um, they have a psychiatrist interview Bernie. The psychiatrist says that all of this probably led to what they called a dissociative episode where he basically had a break with reality. He didn't understand what he was doing. And this was triggered by Marge sort of railing against and acting mean toward a gardener at her house with whom Bernie had a sexual relationship. And he felt defensive of this gardener and was upset with her and shot her in the back. And um, so they take this evidence to Danny Buck, the prosecutor, and Danny Buck has to sort of, you know, open his mind to this whole new set of evidence, you know, that he hadn't really thought of before. All he's thought is that Bernie is this gold-digging murderer and he should be serving life in prison. So... What Danny Buck does is look at the evidence and he says, well, I'll get my expert to interview him. So he goes back to the same guy who testified at Bernie's trial and said that Bernie, you know, didn't suffer from anything bad, that he just, you know, that he that there wasn't any mental issue that caused what happened. And so this guy, Dr. Grapon, psychiatrist, goes and interviews Bernie again. And Bernie goes into detail about the abuse, about him being a closeted homosexual, about the relationship with Marge. And yesterday in, in court, um, Dr. Grapon said that he agreed with Bernie's lawyer's psychiatrist that Bernie did have a dissociative episode and that he probably wouldn't be a future danger to anyone else in society. He wouldn't be a danger to other widows who are going who he might come into contact with. And, um, you know, that this was probably just the result of a dysfunctional relationship and his years of abuse. So um, after they talked it over with a judge yesterday in court. She um, agreed with the writ of habeas corpus that both the defense lawyers and prosecutor Danny Buck agreed to that his sentence should be reduced. The argument there is that had all this evidence of abuse been available at the time of the sentence, at the time of the original trial, Danny Buck probably would have charged him with second degree murder, which comes with a sentence of two to 20 years. So Danny Buck reasoned that, look, there's no way, there's no telling whether the jury would have sentenced him to the full 20 years. At this point, if I've probably gotten all the time served, I'm going to get out of Bernie because he served 17 years. And he's at this point 81. Is that right? Isn't he old? Danny Buck? No, no. Bernie. Isn't Bernie old? Bernie's in his late 50s. You're you're so close. (laughs) I know. I I was this close. PolitiFact says mostly false. (laughs) (laughs) Pants on fire. He was 81. Marge is 81 when he came Oh, she was 81. Okay. I'm sorry. Someone was 81. I remember remember reading the number 81 in this That's good. Okay, well, I read this one on like, most of Reeve's stuff, so that's actually fun. I feel so honored. All the UT regents are 81. Are they? All, yeah. all of them. So th- yesterday at trial, the judge agreed to all of this. They, she agreed to reduce their sentence and send that on to the CCA, which finally has to approve it. And the um, CCA, of course. Is the Court of Criminal Appeals, and the what highest you, what, criminal what court What chance do you think there is of that happening? <laughs> High? Low? Who knows? I mean. 81%? The, the the chances are probably higher because both the DA is not challenging it. The DA is saying, "Yeah, I agree with the um, with the proce- with the defense here." 
And the judge also approved the findings of fact. So all things being considered, it would seem reasonable that if both sides agree that the Court of Appeals would say yes and just sort of rubber stamp it. So he gets out now and uh, lives – the condition is that he has to live in Rick Linklater's garage apartment. Right. So yesterday there was this whole slew of conditions of his bond that the judge released him on. And one of those conditions is that he is has to stay living in Rick Linklater's garage apartment um, where he went last night. And he has to – work uh, for Jody Cole, his lawyer. He's going to be her legal clerk. Um, he can't be around guns. He's subject to random drug tests. He has to um, get counseling for his sexual abuse and sort of abide by this very detailed treatment. Plan. And he can't talk to the press. And he cannot talk to the press. For who knows how long, because the bond will stay in effect until the Court of Criminal Appeals makes its final decision. Why was this evidence not used... Initially, it sounds like it was all there. No. So there were sort of the inklings, right? Like the books were there. But Bernie wouldn't Bernie never admitted that he was sexually abused until after Jody Cole found the books and got counselors and psychiatrists on board to interview him. And in fact, you know, there it took a lot of prodding because he he sort of thought from what his abuser had told him as a kid was that this was just normal. This is the way boys found out about sexuality and stuff like that. Um, and of course he was also ashamed. Does the fact that this was a, te- this is a Texas, Texas monthly story by Skip Hollinsworth that then Rick Linklater, the filmmaker <clears throat> optioned and that's the genesis of, of the movie was this magazine article. So is it the case that had there not been an article and had there not been a movie that none of this would have happened? I think so. I mean, that's what everyone who I've spoken with so far has said. So I talked with um, Danny Buck and with Rick and Rick Linklater, and they both said, you know, these were really crucial dominoes. And had it not been for, you know, Jody seeing the movie, then she wouldn't have got involved in the case. And the movie wouldn't have happened if not for the article. So the lesson is if you're in in, in jail and you've committed a crime, get an article written about you. Is there anything that happens in Texas that doesn't really start with Texas Monthly? I am not going to answer that. But, 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 I mean, that's the thing. It it just shows you how kismet, right? I mean, right. If, if it had not been for this article, then there wouldn't have been well, a movie. Do, if it do some people feel like, I mean, it's it's sort of weird because his celebrity sort of comes uh, after the fact, right? But is there a feeling that this is sort of like, oh, just another celebrity getting special treatment from the courts? Lindsay Lohan style. I guarantee you there are a ton of people who are saying, guy killed somebody. Mm-hmm. What's he doing at him? Well, look at the comments. Right? Comments on your story. Yeah. Typically kind. You know, the comment sections of media yeah, they're just Very generous. Very well gentle, thought out. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody with a full set of teeth in there <laughs> commenting on stuff. All three of them. All brains and stuff. Yeah. I mean, but even if you talk to folks now who live in Carthage, that's one of the weird twists that I was talking about earlier. They are kind of resentful of, well, one, of the movie, which they didn't think really portrayed the town very well. But two, they think Bernie is where he was supposed to be, that he sort of preyed on this, you know, rich old woman. And, you know, he could have walked away at any point. And he didn't have to spend all her money. He, well, certainly. <laughs> I mean, right. that is sort of the weird – for nine months after she was dead, he just kept spending her money left and right. Yeah. 
Well, so what the psychiatrists say about that is that because of his years as a closeted homosexual and his years repressing the abuse, that he had this ability to compartmentalize um, and put aside that stuff that he found that he knew other people would reject in order to sort of go on and live normally. And so are we expecting a sequel? Um, I asked Rick about that this morning and he said no reality show he said no documentary nothing in the works um i i asked about a, a reality show and he said no oh well well it's, it's a good movie though it is a good I recommend movie. it it's a good movie it i think, it, good I think movie. it presents the town it's no school in a of totally rock, nice but way it's a good movie <laughs> as rick's movies go um no yeah, well, it's a sort of a fascinating case totally fascinating thank you for bringing us up to speed and you, and you had the story and and let's be frank about it nobody else had it that's true. You had it. <laughs> Other people are piggybacking on your journalistic awesomeness, which happens from time to time. But you did a great job on this story. Well, I have a big back. Let's let's move on. <laughs> the, nature of, <laughs> the nature of a podcast is we don't have to we don't have to visualize your yeah. back, and that's just as well. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's move from uh, we've done theater. Let's do we did movies. Let's move to a different form of entertainment. A different arena. Yes, as it were. Yeah, live entertainment. <laughs> live. But not exactly Broadway. Not in person. Uh, so there's there's some developments on the famous poll tax, P-O-L-E tax, which is the $5 per patron fee on strip clubs. And that's the theme song you're hearing. <laughs> that's, the poll, that's the poll tax theme song. Yes. Good. Um, What's the latest, Terry? Um, the poll tax or the fee, as it were. Um, it, depend, it is a fee that was passed in 2007. Uh, $5 per patron. It's it, depending on who you talk to, how you get that is you just either add $5 on your, your cover charge or you um, add it some way. But it's going, it, the patron, the person who's coming into the strip club is going to pay it. And that money is supposed to go to sexual um, assault victim programs and um, also for health care. Right now, it's been in flux because there have been so many court challenges. And right now, even though there is one last appeal before the third court of appeals, um, it the comptroller decided to send out collection notices last month and say pay up. Is it standard in, in a case like this? Not that there are many cases that are exactly like this, but if something is being challenged, is it standard for them to say, we don't care that it's being challenged, pay up anyway? Because that is, in essence, what's happening That's here, right? what's happening here, and, and we're not quite sure on that. Um, I guess the sort of Robert's Rules of Order on this is wait till all the challenges are done and then go collect. Right. And when we asked the comptroller's office, why now? You've still got an appeals out. They just said, because we can um, and they are. Um, the strip clubs themselves will not say anything. Uh, it is the quietest bunch of folks since uh, I've, I've ever dealt with. They do not want to talk about it at all. Harold Dutton out of Houston uh, went ahead. The Democratic and, state representative. The Democratic state representative. Big, big fan of the Tribune. <laughs> has um, asked these questions to the comptroller, and there's been no answer yet. Why now? Why are you doing it? You've still got an appeal out. So is he representing the strip clubs in some formal way? No, he is not. He is not. not. Do we know why the sudden interest in collecting this fee? We don't. 
If anybody wants to give me a call and tell me why, that'd be great. Um, but no, we have... The Comptroller, also a big fan of the Tribune, has not returned your phone call? <laughs> well, they they return emails. They don't... They, they're not big on the... The Phoneverse. Yeah, they're not big, big phone callers. But uh, Dutton's point in your story on this issue, I thought was interesting, where he said, you know, if people want to fund things, maybe the legislature should fund things instead of just... Hiding behind things they doing hate. Doing these sort of morality yeah. fees. Yeah, the morality fees and the sin taxes. He, he said that if this is a worthy cause, and of course it is, then let's fund it. Let's get out in front of it. Let's quit using something like this, uh, a sin and also, tax. also, why that sin tax? There are plenty of other sins or perceived sins that one could tax. And as, as someone who has lived in Houston for many years, and this week being the Offshore Technology Conference with 100,000 mostly guys coming to town, I can tell you that this is one busy week. This is, is like right? Christmas. It's like Fleet Week strip. in New York, right? Yes, yeah. pretty much. And um, so they do make a lot of money. Right. That's sort of the flip side is is for someone is someone going to go to a strip club and be like, oh, five dollars. No, never mind. Remember the tax. <laughs> too much. Now, now this is this is not the same tax as the so-called tassel tax that was proposed when we were having a school finance debate something like 10 years ago, right? Remember Governor Perry floated the idea? Right. It, it, it comes from – that's sort of the origin of it. And then it kind of died. And well, it, I, think, I think he got shut out in the vote in the Texas House when he proposed that. I think right. it was something and, to nothing. Was like, and, and they've brought it back up. And, and something similar has been brought back up in Houston, a local tax. But they're waiting to see what happens with the state tax before collecting in Houston also. The other thing is is that um, not all of these clubs are permitted by TABC, the Texas Alcohol Beverage Commission. They are BYOB. They don't have a cover. Um, a lot There's 70 clubs out there that, are, um, that offer all-new entertainment and are BYOB, and they are not um, – they have no license. So how do you collect this if there's no cover charge? I mean, it, it just gets into a weird bureaucracy of how do you collect this tax? How do you charge it? And I have heard um, off the record, we've heard from some clubs that uh, the comptroller's office is outside some clubs counting how many people come in and then going in to see if they're collect auditing books. So they are a little so, active well, on this. The Elliot Ness of I mean, Nookie. some things just must be investigated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I, seriously, of all the things that we have to be worried about, we're worried about this. Yes. Well, you know, people don't realize that the podcast is also free nude entertainment. It's just over the radio. <laughs> well, Brandy's back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've, already, we've already discussed that. Keep up. <laughs> Um, oh, handbook. So do we, I mean, are, are, there, are the clubs all hanging together or are they, are some of them paying and some of them not? Do we have any idea? Yeah, uh, some of them started to pay. Some of them said, you know, let's go ahead. There is an entertainment association, a lobby. They're not talking to us. the lobbyist for the strip there, clubs? There is. They're not Who talking. is the lobbyist for the strip clubs? Can we name that person? This, this is a job that Evan's going to try to get. Not Kathy After Adams. the Tribune. Gary Calfee? Okay, don't know. Okay. Well, now, now famous now. The famous Gary Calfee will now for tomorrow. Just Gary. <laughs> but they are not responding to uh, a, uh, a lot of questions that we've posed to them or Stuart Whitehead, the attorney who won't return my calls. Why Why are, do they – I mean it seems like maybe would, – would, is staying in the dark helpful to them? Why not just make their case vocally? I – 
I've been really surprised by this reaction. I do know that a couple of weeks ago they were all meeting over at a steakhouse in Austin and kind of trying to confab with their attorneys to figure out what to do, but they're not talking. Um, And I don't understand for an industry that does make a lot of money, does pay a lot of taxes, payroll taxes, alcohol taxes. They are paying a lot of taxes and make a lot of money for the state. Why they aren't talking, I have no idea. There was a... I remember from your story, they worried that some of these businesses would would die. They would go out of business if they have to collect, pay all of these fees at once. Is that a real sort of fear that a lot of these places will go out of business? Or is that even a goal? Yeah, or is that a desire on the part of the lawmakers? I think some of them are thinking about just filing for bankruptcy to tie up the state in court. And I I think that's being floated about. Well, it raises the question, uh, the slight variation on what you're saying. And to Brandy's question, it's a little bit like the abortion clinics. We're going to pass legislation that we say, and maybe we actually mean, is not for the express purpose of closing these clinics, but we don't believe in or support this. And so we're going to do this. And the unintended consequence, maybe some would say intended, is to get these things to be closed. In some ways, there may be getting to this question of a syntax and morality and what have you, we're going to so unduly burden or unreasonably burden these clubs that the result's going to be that we're going to achieve the goal that we want to achieve, but we can't achieve through the front door. Right. 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 Could be. Could be. And also, um, and I think the clubs are also, some of them are questioning the whole, why is it going to sexual assault? Are you saying that everyone who comes into a club is, I mean, why not go after what they call the restaurants, the sports bars? Hooters and what have you. Right. Peaks. Right. Why don't you go after them too? I mean, it, there is no, there's no study that shows a tie between, although it's something that would there be hard to say. There to be a tax on lack of subtlety. <laughs> <laughs> Restaurant that calls itself Hooters or Twin Peaks. We ought to just tax those people, Just actually. as an aside, I really went to Twin Peaks once thinking that it Why? was a restaurant, but like, like an you're, outdoorsy you're looking, restaurant. You're looking for <laughs> the log lady? What do you mean you think this was? Like Kyle MacLachlan? A yeah. David Lynch-themed restaurant. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> the person I was with was like, yeah, and Hooters is a restaurant about owls. <laughs> also about David owls. Lynch-themed. Yeah. <laughs> Never occurred to me, owls. That's good. Has, has anyone gauged the temperature of uh, Glenn Hager and Mike Collier on this issue? The comptroller's candidates. The, the right. comptroller candidates. I have not. That's a good question. It is a great. Well, you question. know, finally, we will, we will have Glenn Hager at the Austin Club in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to it's ask gonna... him first. <laughs> Restaurants for or against? <laughs> That's a preview of the first question. You should collect five bucks from everyone as they come in the door of I the like event. That. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, speaking of the. Races. Oh God, I have to pay attention now. Okay, good. <laughs> well, since you're paying, I was on my phone the whole time. Since you're paying attention, why don't you tell us yes. what is what out there in the political landscape has most piqued your attention? We the are last three. Week? We are three weeks away from the runoff, um, and the assumption after the first round of the primary, as you know, was that there was an unofficial slate of more conservative candidates. That would be Patrick uh, Paxton. Miller and Christian in the remaining Republican runoffs, and that effectively what would happen is the people would come in and vote for the slate, and they had all finished first in the primary, and the assumption was that this runoff was all for show, that the outcome was determined. You know, the races have in, – in, in each case, the races have been a little bit different. The narrative has been a little bit different as we've gotten closer to the, to the runoff. Um, uh, in the case of the Railroad Commission race, um, Ryan Sitton has actually held on and remained active in the conversation, and in fact um, – the Breitbart uh, folks uh, have actually published a couple of stories, at least one that I saw, I think it's more than one, that have been kind of pro-sitting, 
you know, so there's actually not necessarily unanimity in the conservative end of the party about that race and, you know, don't know what's going to happen. There's been charges back and forth, Christian and Sittner, you know, somehow wanting on the ethical front and each has accused the other of something. But basically that's like an act, an, actually an active race. Um, uh, Sid Miller and Tommy Merritt has maybe been the least active of the four races in terms of the narrative changing. But it's gotten super personal and weird. But it's gotten very personal. And, you know, and uh, Tommy Merritt was alleged to have taken money from Steve Mostyn. Um Sid Miller is, 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 is Sid Miller is actively on Twitter now talking about guns and abortion and a whole bunch of stuff that is not really in the purview of the ag. But also, then he didn't he department. say he didn't realize he was tweeting that stuff. He tweeted something that then they get done. Yeah, I mean, I do that all the time. That, 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 that race, that race is actually <laughs> is an ambient that caused that race has actually been uh, sort of different in a lot of ways than the other races, and it's gotten less attention, but it's starting to get uh, heated up. The the Obviously, the, you know, as we sit here right now, there's a debate going on with David Dewhurst and Dan Patrick and the lieutenant governor's race that our colleague Ross uh, Ramsey is, is a questioner uh, at. And, you know, that's gotten to be oh, you know, the Dewhurst will not uh, uh, drop out or quit or he's sort of not. He's not just basically said, look, I'm going to go quietly. If Patrick wins, it will not be without Dewhurst throwing mud and spaghetti and everything else that, that and Patrick shirts. that sticks. And, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> One wonders what would have happened if Dewhurst had been this aggressive on Patrick prior to the end of the first round. You know, there was some thought. In fact, Dewhurst said to me very directly, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to win this primary. And he didn't. take my time to do it. I'm just going to wait until, the, you know, yeah. nearly the last minute. And then in the case of the Branch Paxson stuff, obviously the Tribune is, is a, a minor character in this conversation. And that Jay Root's reporting on Ken Paxson has been a, a, a large part of the narrative over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Jay and Edgar Walters published a story about Dan Branch yesterday that kind of took a, a, a lap back around the track and sort of hit Branch for not supporting disclosure um, at a time when he's attacking Paxson for not being adequately transparent about uh, his own stuff. I, I still think that the well, default – the default – what? I, was, I mean it's not – at this point it's not just being transparent. I mean the – uh, you know, he's Paxson's been reprimanded by the security board. Right. Yeah. Look, at at this point in in the race, there's three weeks left. Nobody really knows who's paying attention. We have the disadvantage of living in the bubble. Everything gets magnified in the bubble and amplified in the bubble. And when you get out of the bubble and you say to people, Ken Paxson ethics problems, or Ryan Sitton conflict of interest, or Dan Patrick bankruptcy, people go, "What are you talking about?" And I think that to some degree, we all feed off of one another in this little corridor between our office and Starbucks by the Capitol. And we assume that that conversation is the conversation everybody else is having. And I'm not sure that it is. And so I think the default, in fact, I'm reasonably certain Pretty it's not sure what it's it not, is. Yeah. And yeah. so the default, more people are probably talking about Bernie outside of Austin than people are talking about any of this other stuff. And so the default has to, has to be going into this three weeks from now that the narrative that was the case on March 4th is the narrative now. There are a slate of conservative. There's a slate of conservative candidates. That is the energized wing of the party. They're likeliest to turn out. Therefore, those candidates are likeliest to win, despite whatever else is going on. And until I see polling, independent polling, to the contrary, my assumption going in has to be that Dewhurst and Branch and Merritt and Sitton are the underdogs. Not say they can't win, but I think the assumption. I think if they won, it would be the news. Well, if right? anyone out there has some polling that they've conducted, independent polling or uh, news. Or news, or, or if you've thoughts. killed anybody and put them in a freezer, if they have, let us know. If you want to see Brandy's back, <laughs> if they have comments that they'd like to have ridiculed here on the podcast, they can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs as always for doing our music. 
We'd like to encourage people to review us on iTunes, since that seems to be a helpful thing for people to do. Uh, on behalf of Terry, Brandy, Evan, and our producer, Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening to our all-nude podcast. You strippers, you can't keep your bills straight.